Don't Depend on Daddy is an unfiltered safe space, empowering young professionals to build independence in their 20s and beyond, whether it be personal, professional, or financial. Regardless of your age, relationship status, or job title, the most consistent person in your life is you. So join me and let's build our independence together. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to Don't Depend on Daddy, the podcast. My name is Michaela. I am your host, and I am super excited for this episode because I am joined by my friend, Austin Hankwitz. He is a finance creator, the host of the Rich Habits podcast, and he is a wealth of knowledge. We are talking about investing. So he has a lot to share about different investment types, different investment accounts, taxes, all that kind of stuff. I want to say up front that the structure of this episode is a little bit different than a prior guest conversations because there were little tidbits and stuff that I wanted to pull out from what he said. I wanted to add in my own commentary. So I chopped it up a little bit and I talk a lot. He shares some of his insights and I think it came together to be a very nice, cohesive, educational episode. As a quick disclaimer, Reminder that neither Austin nor I are licensed investment professionals, meaning that we are sharing our knowledge and our education that we have learned through investing ourselves, through research online. I have a finance degree. I worked in finance. So my the information that I'm sharing and that he's sharing is all meant to be educational. We're not sharing any specifics really around investment types or anything or investment choices. But just remember to take everything with a grain of salt that you hear on the internet. Make sure you keep your investment decisions in mind. And when you do make investment decisions, don't make them because someone on the internet told you to do it. Make them because they make sense for your life, for your goals, for your risk tolerance, and for what you want to accomplish. If you have questions about how to invest beyond this episode, I'd recommend you go check out Austin's podcast or you contact a licensed professional for some help. But hopefully this empowers you. We have some resources as well for you to reference to go really learn on your own. But always, I feel like I'm obligated to say this, to always just be wary of specific investment advice you receive online. There's nothing groundbreaking in here. We're really talking about how to determine different investment types. So like what is the difference between a stock, a bond, an ETF, a mutual fund, an index fund, all that kind of stuff different retirement accounts, orders of operations, how taxes work, what to look for when you are you know, choosing an ETF as an example. So all of that hopefully will be helpful. Before we get into the rest of the episode, we're gonna quickly go through the housekeeping and then I'm gonna share my don't depend on daddy moment of the week. So for housekeeping, first things first, you can always use the code podcast one to get $10 off the personal finance dashboard. If you are a new listener coming from Austin's Orbit, The personal finance dashboard is my signature financial planning tool. Everything that you need to know about the PFD is on the PFD sales page, which is linked in the show notes. So if you have questions, go check that out or send me an email or a direct message on Instagram. Please use the don't depend on daddy Instagram to send me messages. Second is go download the financial planning checklist. When you do this, it's a totally free checklist. You will be enrolled in taking the financial planning email course, which is also totally free. It's a four day email course delivered to your inbox where it basically takes you through the four steps of putting together your plan. Really, really helpful if you are trying to reset your finances. We're still at the top of the year, but depending on when you're listening to this, maybe you are just ready for a reset or an overhaul, go check that out. 
And also, if you have not ordered Own Your Money, you totally should. As part of this episode, when I talk about different investment types, I do read off a part of the investing chapter in this book, which has tons of information in it related to investing and beyond. But I talk about the flower shop analogy, which is an original analogy that I came up with on my own. So if you see it from anybody else, they stole it from me. It's mine. I go through the different types of flowers, how they relate to different types of investments, and I read directly from the book. So if you enjoy that, go grab a copy of Own Your Money. You can grab it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. If you're listening to this on Spotify Premium, you can also listen to it for free with your premium subscription. And the last thing is, if you have a kind positive review, please go leave that on Apple Podcasts. If you have a constructive review or something that you don't like about the podcast or something that you'd want me to change, please send it to me privately. Please don't publish that as part of your review because let's just stop doing that in 2024. Like let's build people up. Let's give them a pat on the back. And if you're not going to give someone a pat on the back, maybe do that privately like an adult. So that's all I'm going to say there. Now, Let's move into our don't depend on daddy moment of the week. This is an opportunity to share a moment of independence from the week and it can be anything. My goal is to highlight the day-to-day moments where I'm showing up for myself that get overlooked or where you're showing up for yourself that get overlooked. I was going to submit and share one of yours this week, but I actually had one that came up that I feel like is a really important and fun to highlight. So we'll talk about one of yours next week. But I met Mel Robbins the other day in my Pilates class, which if you don't listen to the Mel Robbins podcast, you totally should because it's amazing. It was a top five podcast in 2023 and for good reason. I'm obsessed with it. It's very actionable, which I really, really love. But I am the kind of person who I'm very shy in real life. And like when I see a famous person or like an influencer or celebrity, I generally am not the type that's going to go up and approach I don't know. I have a thing about like interrupting someone's private time. Like it just feels weird. But over the last like year or so, so many of you guys have come up to me in real life and it's literally been the most amazing experience I've had just like seeing you in real life, talking to you. And it means a lot to me. Like it genuinely does make my day when somebody approaches me because I'm like, that takes balls to go up to someone you don't know to say something. So I decided to channel that energy and go up and say hi to her, which was hard for me to do, again, just because I'm shy and like, I don't know, it's an intimidating thing. And so I'm really proud of myself for pushing myself out of my comfort zone, not looking for an excuse and going up to say hi. She was so kind and so appreciative that I told her that I liked my podcast. It was a short interaction, but I left the class feeling like, I'm really happy that I did that and I would have regretted not doing it. So here's your reminder. If you see someone out and about who inspires you, who, you know, maybe you've learned of them online and you enjoy their content or whatever, go up and say hi with no expectations. But I think you'll feel better about yourself if you do that. Cause like, I don't know, I look at it as if I hadn't said hi, maybe it could have been a missed opportunity. Obviously nothing came from it. Right. Besides a hello, but you never know. So Here is the reminder to push yourself out of your comfort zone in those kinds of situations. So that's my don't depend on daddy moment of the week. If you want to submit yours, you can do so via the form in the show notes. And with that, let's just get the heck into this episode. Let's get started here by talking about why investing is so important. 
I think it's really important for people to understand first and foremost why we invest, right? Obviously, the internet tells us to do it, our parents tell us to do it, but, but like, why do we really need to do it? So let's just take a step back and think about on a daily, monthly, weekly, yearly basis, how are we as human beings making money? Well, 99% of the population is trading time for money. That means going to their job, working hourly, salary, whatever, right? Then they take that money from their employer or however else they make money, and they use it to live their lives. They pay their rent, they buy their groceries, but you know they're living their lives because of money. Money is it's the oxygen that we all need to have a fulfilled life. So when you think about investing, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to work for the rest of my life, right? I don't want to trade time for money for the rest of my life. So I need to do things now so that when I'm older, my money is working for me instead of me working for me, right? Now that we understand why investing is so important, Austin introduces this idea of what he calls a freedom number, which is the amount of money you need to invest in order to cover your expenses with your investment returns. There's something called a freedom number, right? And let me just break this down very, very simply. What are your monthly expenses? For me, it's pretty close to about five and a half or $6,000 a month. So if I need 5,500, call it, every month to pay my rent, groceries, live my life, whatever, then I need to go earn that money to do that. But if my investments, my money can make me $5,500 a month, well, dang, I'm, I'm kind of retired at this point, right? My money is earning money that pays for my lifestyle. I'm financially independent is what that's called. So that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Let's figure out how to calculate what everyone's financial independence number is. I call it a freedom number. You can call it whatever you want. And how are we going to get there, right? I think a, a big mistake a lot of people make is they just kind of drift through life. They're like, yeah, I'm just kind of doing some investing. I'm like, my parents told me this. I, I, you know, something about a Roth IRA or 401k, but I don't really know. We want to make sure all of our listeners right now have a plan. They're not drifting, they're executing, right? So that's going to be really exciting. So how can you execute? Is first figuring out what your financial independence number is. You can do this by using a financial independence calculator. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's literally a calculator that you can Google. But with that information, you will figure out how much money you need to have invested in order to cover your monthly and annual expenses. That will then spit out essentially the age at which you will reach that depending on how much money you are investing and what your expenses are. With that information is where we start to get into, I think, what is the little bit more challenging part of this whole equation. And that's actually building out an investment portfolio, which is a really hard thing to do if you don't understand the different investment types that exist. My goal is to make investing as simple and straightforward as possible from the get-go. So I'm going to explain to you the basics of different investment types. And then with that information, you can decide either how hands-on or hands-off you want to be, which we'll talk about when building out your investment portfolio. I like to use, when explaining investment types, what I call the flower shop analogy. This is an original analogy. It's also in my book, Own Your Money. And I think that it really makes it easier to conceptualize these different investment types. We'll start with stocks, which I equate to an individual flower. A stock is a part ownership in a company. So essentially when you purchase a stock, you are purchasing part of a company and as a result, a share in the company's profits. Buying a stock is like walking into a flower shop. So imagine that the flower shop is the stock marketplace, the stock exchange. 
you're walking into a flower shop and you are buying a singular flower. There are so many to choose from. Some may appeal to you more than others due to their different attributes. And when you choose one, based on the type of flower you've selected, you may have an idea on how long it will live, but its lifespan is also dependent on the care you provide for it in the environment that you put it in. Similarly to buying a single flower from a flower shop, you can choose a single stock to purchase. There are so many to choose from across various industries and some may be more appealing than others. So for example, a tech stock might seem more promising than a tobacco stock in the 21st century. Based on your research, you may have an idea of how a stock might perform over time, but there are so many factors beyond your control that may dictate if it provides a high return or blooms like a beautiful flower or results in you losing money, like a shriveled up flower. We can't talk about stocks if we don't also talk about mutual funds. I think a lot of people get tripped up with mutual funds because they're really just referred to as investment funds. But a mutual fund is a very broad term because there are tried and true mutual funds, which is like a very specific type of fund. Then there are index funds, which is a type of mutual fund. And there are also target date funds, which is also a type of mutual fund. So all index funds and all target date funds are mutual funds, but not all mutual funds are index funds or target date funds. So I want to get that out there. I'll explain what a mutual fund is first using the flower shop analogy, and then we'll go into a quick and dirty on index funds and target date funds. By definition, a mutual fund is a pool of money that is used to purchase a basket of stocks. And it could be a basket that follows any type of theme. So think company type, industry type, geographic location. Those are just a few of the themes that this basket of stocks could follow. That pool of money is essentially handed over to a trained investment manager. So these are investment professionals who will choose the stocks that are within that basket and invest that money on your behalf. These are really popular because they allow you to invest in multiple stocks at once, which allows for diversification. So diversification is really like if you know, you invest in one stock, let's say you invest in Amazon and it has a really bad year and all of your money is in Amazon, then you lose a lot of money. Whereas if you were invested, let's say in Amazon and Meta and Amazon had a, had a bad year and Meta had a good year, you know, it sort of evens out. That's diversification in a nutshell. If we go back to the flower shop analogy here, think of a mutual fund like a fancy floral arrangement that you order. You're not a flower expert, so you want to leave it up to the professionals to create an arrangement for you based on the type of flowers that you are looking for. You order it ahead, you give them your money, and you leave it to them to choose the flowers and arrange them in a way that makes sense based off of what you are specifically looking for. This way you get a wide array of flowers that all fit together very nicely. So now thinking about index funds, an index fund is a type of mutual fund, but it's a little bit different because instead of an investment manager choosing the stocks based off of a predetermined theme or subset of rules, like I mentioned, maybe industry, geographic location, for example, an index fund is pre-selected based off of the index that it tracks. Really popular example would be the S&P 500, which is an index that is made up of the top 500 companies in the United States. An S&P 500 index fund is 
essentially a mutual fund that tracks that index. So the only stocks within that particular index fund are the stocks that are on the S&P 500. So that's an index fund. These are generally passive, less expensive investments because they are passively tracking the index, meaning there is no active manager selecting the stocks and changing the stocks. So there's nobody who you need to pay to do that, really. You're just paying the expense ratio on the investment, which I'll talk about at a later point. And again, nobody's picking the stocks. Whereas with a just a straightforward mutual fund, someone is making investment decisions, generally aiming to outperform a benchmark. A target date fund, for example, I'm going to use an example to explain this. My target retirement is 2060. So a target date fund automatically rebalances within the fund between stocks and bonds to become more and more conservative as it gets closer to 2060. So since we're in 2024 right now, there is a higher allocation of stocks because stocks are riskier. We have more time for, that, for them to grow before I retire and a smaller allocation of bonds. And each year it's automatically rebalancing to get closer and closer to 2060 and being a higher percentage of bonds and a lower percentage of stocks to ensure that my money is earning via compound interest and growing in the market, but also protected with the bonds. So that is, again, a quick and dirty on target date funds. Target date funds, like I mentioned, in index funds are types of mutual funds, but not all mutual funds are index funds and target date funds. Really important to remember. Moving into ETFs, an ETF is an exchange-traded fund, and I like to equate this to a bouquet. It is essentially a hybrid between an individual stock and a mutual fund, and it has attributes of both. So similarly to a stock, an ETF trades on what is called an exchange, which is just the marketplace where individuals and brokers can buy and sell stocks. Similarly to a mutual fund, an ETF, with an ETF, you are purchasing a basket of stocks that have some type of commonality in theme. So using the flower shop analogy, an ETF would be a bouquet. You're getting a variety of different flowers arranged based on a similar type, so they all fit together nicely, but it's much easier and more convenient to purchase a bouquet. You can just walk into the store and choose one. You don't need to order it ahead for a like a fancy flower arrangement. So think of an ETF as a hybrid between a mutual fund and a stock. There are many similarities between ETFs and mutual funds, but they come with the convenience of buying and selling a stock. A bond, I like to equate a bond to a gift card to the flower shop, although this is a little bit of a stretch, so take it with a grain of salt. A bond is unique in that it's not ownership in a company, it's actually an IOU from either the government or a company. So simply put, if you purchase a bond for $100, you're lending your $100 to an entity that will give you that money back in a specified period of time with a specified interest rate. So like with a gift card, you're basically promising the store that you are gonna spend this $100 for if you buy a $100 gift card, but the difference is that you're not getting any interest on that, obviously, whereas a bond, you're getting interest for loaning that money. Now that you understand the different types of investments that you can choose from, let's hear from Austin to talk about the different investment accounts that you can choose from in the order of priority. So this is something we talk about on the Rich Habits podcast all the time. And if everyone, I really encourage you to take out a notepad, write this down. It is going to be really, really important from a priority perspective, right? Here we go. Match beats Roth beats taxable. 
That's how I want you to think about this. So whenever you are investing into your retirement account with your uh, employer, let's let's just break this down one by one. Match. What does that mean? So I don't know about you, Michaela, but whenever I worked for my employer out of college, I had something called a 401k and that came with a 401k match. Well, what the heck is that? A 401k is an employer-sponsored retirement account. And all that means is they're saying, hey, thanks for working with us. We want to make sure that you're investing for your future. So to ensure that that is going to be as successful as possible, we will match a percent of every dollar you put into this account every single year because that's an employee benefit here. And the money you put in is going to be invested into the stock market and all the fun stuff that we just talked about, Michaela, as well. So whenever you hear 401k, I want you to think employer, your employer, right? This is from someone you work for. Now, if you can get a match from your employer, which I believe the statistic is about 70% of Americans do have a match with their employer, you want to get that match because at the end of the day, Michaela, a match is free money. Seriously, like if you have, let's say, a salary of $100,000 and your employer has a 3% match, you would invest however much money you want there and that they match 3% of your total salary. So it's $3,000 of free money every year you get. So whenever we talk about 401k, think employer. So go get that free money first and foremost. Now, why I say free money first and foremost is because there are some setbacks that come with a 401k, with the most notable setback being a lack of flexibility. Austin brings up a great point here when he mentions the lack of flexibility that you may have with a 401k. There are a few things that this highlights. One being that your 401k is administered by your employer. So they are choosing the brokerage that administers the plan. You may not have an endless supply of investment options to choose from. You may be able to choose from a handful of different mutual funds or a handful of different target date funds. That totally depends on the employer and the brokerage that they choose for administering the plan. So just make sure that you look through what options are available to you, and if you're happy with them, that's great. If not, then you may also wanna consider a Roth IRA, which I'll defer back to Austin to explain. So with that being said, we are investing up to the match, call it 3%, 6%, whatever that looks like there, and any money above the match, I think people need to put into a Roth IRA. So. Let's take a step back. We talked about the 401k as being employer sponsored. On the other side of the aisle, there is something called an IRA, an individual retirement account. Now, an IRA is important because it's tied to you as a human. It's not tied to your employer. It's not tied to you know anyone you worked for in the past. It's tied to you and your social security number which means it doesn't matter where you work, what you do, or where you live, you will always have this individual retirement account tied to you. Now, there are two types of individual retirement accounts. There's the Roth individual retirement account and the traditional individual retirement account. For a Roth individual retirement account, the money you deposit into that account is after tax, which means it's the money that your employer has already paid you and hits your bank account, right? They already take taxes out of your paycheck. So it's the money that hits your bank account there. And why that's important to call out is because it's after tax money, already paid taxes on it. And what's cool about the Roth IRA is when you deposit that money into the account and invest it into these index funds that we've talked about, 
over your lifetime, you'll finally in retirement, call it 65 years old, be able to realize the profits that you've generated there. In some instances, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, depending on how much was invested. And since it was after tax going in, it's also after tax coming out. Again, that's for people who are under the income limit. I believe it's around $140,000 right now. If you are over the income limit, you are forced into something called a traditional IRA. That essentially just means that the money you deposit into the traditional IRA, you can write off of your taxable income that year. So it's pre-tax money being deposited there. But when it comes to time for retirement, the money you take out, aka those profits, you will have to pay normal federal income tax on them as if it was some sort of salary or you know compensation you got. Now, there is sort of a loophole that people talk about a lot called a backdoor Roth IRA, which is what I do every single year because I am over the income limit. It's very simple. All you have to do is create a traditional IRA, deposit cash into that IRA, do not invest it, and then convert that traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. You can look it up on your, if it's Fidelity or Vanguard or whoever you have, this little convert button there. You can convert it into a Roth IRA. And once that conversion is complete, it might take a couple business days. All you have to do then is invest the money and file something called a Form 8606, I believe, with the IRS the following tax year to let them know you made the conversion. Pretty simple. It's very, very common. A lot of people do it. And again, congrats if you're in that bucket of people. So to summarize, with a Roth IRA, you are contributing post-tax income, but you do not pay taxes when you withdraw the money. So you are taxed on the way in, but not on the way out. With a traditional IRA, you are contributing pre-tax money, but you pay taxes when you withdraw at retirement. So you are not taxed on the way in, but you are taxed on the way out. I also just want to note that in the original recording here, Austin had mentioned that the income limit for a Roth IRA was around $140,000. In 2024, that income limit has increased to $153,000. So if you are making $153,000 or more in a single tax year in 2024, you are not eligible to contribute to a Roth IRA but you still can consider a traditional IRA or that backdoor Roth IRA that Austin. Retirement accounts are tax advantaged accounts, meaning you are reaping a tax benefit by contributing to those accounts. Because of this, there are limits on how much you can actually contribute to those accounts each year. For a 401k, it's $23,000 in 2024, and for either a Roth or a traditional IRA, it's $7,000. Always check based off of the year that you are in what those contribution limits are. If you are investing outside of these retirement accounts, the way that the taxes are treated are different. With a taxable brokerage account, there are no contribution limits, so you can put as much money as you want in there any year, but there are also no tax benefits to it. So you are contributing money that was deposited into your account from your work that's already been taxed, so you're taxed on the way in. And then if you choose to sell those investments, depending on if you choose to sell them within the year that you purchased them or beyond a year that you purchased them, you will be paying either a short-term capital gains tax, which is a little bit higher, or long-term capital gains tax. You are only paying the capital gains tax though on the profits that you earn. So let's imagine that you invested $1,000 in 2023 and one year later you decide that you wanna sell them or a year and a few days later, so it's been over a full year, 
that distinguishes short-term capital gains versus long-term capital gains is a one-year threshold. A little bit over a year later, you sell for $1,500, you are only paying the capital gains tax on that $500 profit. How much you pay for these taxes depends on what the profit is and what your income is. So anytime that you're going to be selling investments, I would definitely recommend sitting down with a CPA, so a certified accountant, and make sure you understand what the tax implication of doing that will be. Now let's imagine that you are a beginner investor and you are ready to choose your investment. What the heck are you supposed to do? First things first is you need to choose your broker. So you can go the traditional route, which could be like a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a T. Rowe Price, or you can choose a robo-advisor like a Betterment, for example. The difference here is that a robo-advisor is going to build a portfolio for you. So they're gonna ask you a couple of questions about your risk tolerance, your age, your financial goals, what you are interested in investing in, and they're gonna build a portfolio and make those decisions for you. You're just gonna hit approve and transfer the money and go on your merry way. If you are someone who is interested in a little bit more of a do-it-yourself route, you go with a traditional broker. I personally use Vanguard for the majority of my investments, but all of them are generally created fairly equally. I don't think you can go wrong if you went, for example, with a Vanguard, a Fidelity, or a T. Rowe Price. You're gonna have very similar investment options. They're all very well-established brokers. So once you've chosen your broker and you've opened the account, so with a broker, you're either opening an IRA or a brokerage account, a taxable account, you then need to transfer money out of your checking account into what is called a settlement account. So a settlement account is either a cash account or a money market account. You can select if you want it to be cash or money market when you are creating the account. You're gonna transfer the money into that account and then you are going to invest from there. So this is where you actually need to choose the investment. So what the heck are you supposed to look at? There are a couple of key things to look for and just be aware of when making an investment decision. Reminder, this is all based off of my experience, but I am actually going to be pulling this information directly from the Fidelity Learning Center website. There is an article about ETF efficiency, how to evaluate an ETF. So these points are directly from there. There are two major areas to pay attention to when looking at an ETF. First is the expenses. So in the case of ETFs, the main input is a fund's expense ratio, the rate charged by the fund to do its job. Many ETFs are actually very low cost, so their fund or expense ratios are generally, especially if they're an index ETF, meaning they are tracking a specific index, anywhere from like 0.01 to 0.09 or maybe 0.1 on the high end. You'll see with mutual funds or you know non-indexed ETFs, that expense ratio will likely be a little bit higher. But for indexed funds, index ETFs, the expense ratio is lower because the investment decisions are already made, right? They're already tracking an index that's already predetermined. Since the job of most ETFs is to track an index, so many ETFs are actually indexed ETFs, you can assess an ETF's efficiency by weighing the fee rate the fund charges against how well it tracks or replicates the performance of its index. ETFs that charge low fees and track their indexes tightly are highly efficient and do their job well. So for example, let's say you choose VOO, which is Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF. 
you would want to look at the performance of VOO compared to the performance of the S&P 500. And this performance chart is going to be on the VOO page. Okay, so you can see is the performance of VOO pretty much directly in line with the performance of the S&P 500? If the answer is yes, then it's an efficient ETF compared to if that band was wider or there was much more disparity or tracking difference then maybe that ETF is less efficient, that would cause pause. The article then moves on to tracking difference, which I kind of just mentioned, but I'm gonna read it just for the sake of clarity. One obvious place to start is with fees. The lower, the better. But while that's a good starting place, not all funds with low fees will track their index as well. As such, it makes sense to focus on the fund's tracking results. How well did the ETF replicate the performance of its index? When the index increased, did the ETF increase by the same amount? A favored measure is tracking difference, a statistic that looks at how far an ETF has lagged its benchmark. So for example, VOO is the S&P 500 ETF, its benchmark is the S&P 500. So how far has an ETF lagged its benchmark on average over a one year period? Tracking difference incorporates the effects of an entire range of management decisions from securities lending to optimization decisions. Since the principal task of most ETFs is to track an index, Funds that deviate from their index, even for short periods, are less efficient and less well run. So you want to look at what am I being charged and is there a tracking difference? And if so, am I being charged a high expense rate for an ETF that's not tracking well against its benchmark? In which case, maybe it may not be a great decision, but you'd have to weigh that against the rest of your portfolio and the rest of your investment decisions. That's the other thing that I want to highlight is when you are choosing your investments, you really can't evaluate an investment on its lonesome. You have to think about it in terms of your broader portfolio. So the S&P 500 covers a wide range of investments or a wide range of companies, excuse me. Many of those companies are tech companies. So if you were going to choose another ETF, this is a hypothetical scenario, you may want to choose one that isn't as heavily weighted in tech companies so you get a little bit of industry diversification as an example. So that's why it's important to look at the different ETFs. You want to look at the holdings, look at the companies that it is investing in and tracking against so that you have an idea of what you're actually investing your money in. All this to say, I would very much so encourage you to leverage and use the learning resources available on these broker pages, like the Fidelity Learning Center, like the Vanguard Learning Center. Use this information because it's created by experts. It's created by investment professionals who know what they're talking about, who are licensed and who are in a position to really give you this information. I would be wary about any specific investment information that you are hearing. So specific funds that people recommend. I mean, VOO is a very safe ETF. Like I, I wouldn't worry about that too much, but honestly, many, anything really beyond that, I would just double check. Make sure you understand what you are investing in. Be careful who you take specific investing advice from. And always make sure that the investment decisions that you make make sense for your life. Anyways, we have talked about a lot. So to summarize, we have talked about basic investment terminology. So stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds, target date funds, index funds. We talked about different investment accounts like 401ks, IRAs, taxable brokerage accounts. 
We've talked about the order of priority for investment accounts, how taxes work on these investment accounts, whether it be a retirement account or a taxable account that may be subject to capital gains tax. And we've also talked about what to look for, some basics of what to look for when evaluating an investment. So I am going to defer back to Austin to share some of his parting words. Yeah, investing is intimidating, right? We talked a lot about different terms, ETF, alphabet soup. What the heck are we saying? These are some acronyms I've never heard of. You might be thinking that right now and you're probably not alone. At the end of the day, there's a ton of resources on the internet, as well as my own newsletter called Rate of Return. Some of my favorite resources, if you do want to learn, there's a free website called investopedia.com. So if you want to nerd out on specific acronyms or any other things that we're talking about on here that don't make sense, simply type it in on Google and then investopedia after that. It's going to pop right up. It's a really, really great resource for you. But yeah, I co-host the Rich Habits podcast with Robert Croak. We talk about investing a lot. We don't just talk about investing in the stock market. We do talk about real estate, small businesses, alternative asset investing, like uh, I think public.com has music royalties right now. Kind of weird, but interesting. You know, and we also talk about reaching that freedom number sooner than 65 years old in different ways that we plan to do that. So definitely go check out the podcast. And Michaela, I really appreciate you having me on yours. So with that, we're going to wrap up. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. All of the resources will be linked in the show notes. And with that, I will catch you next week.